All right, now if you guys remember from last week, Barb helped us identify a few threads throughout the book of Philippians. And there's three main ones that she talked through, humility, unity, and joy. And we're going to see those threads coming throughout the book of Philippians in each passage in different ways. And some passages are going to focus more on one of those um, themes than others. But um, today's passage, we're going to see all three of those themes kind of interwoven and, and see how they interplay together. Now, our passage is the opening of a letter. It is a letter penned, if you'll remember, from a prison cell or while under house arrest. We're not quite sure. But Paul was in prison. This was a letter sent from one man to some of his dear, dear friends. It's a letter filled with love, filled with longing for one another. It's a letter of thanksgiving, of encouragement, and of joy. And I don't know about you guys, but this letter seems a far cry from the typical email that I receive of, Dear Sir or Madam, the following amount will be removed from your account automatically <laughs> on such and such a day. Um, we don't get letters like this anymore. And completely as an aside, I know that we live in the 21st century, and there is instant communication, which I'm so thankful for so often. Um, in, you know, a punch of buttons on your, on your phone, you can see someone's face across the world. Um, I love being able to just call my sister to see her face and catch up on the crazy of life and how our crazy little boys drive us crazy. Um, <laughs> so I can't help but think that this, this automatic connection within our world and our days, it, it's helped us to lose a little bit of the, the art of communication, which we see here in this letter. And so you just have to picture Epaphrodites coming into town, carrying this letter from Paul, and he's you know, letting people know, I have this letter, let's gather, let's read it together. The whole church family coming together on a weekday night to hear this letter read, to be able to, um, just the anticipation of hearing and reading these words from a treasured friend. And there, you've got to be wondering, like they've, they've got to be wondering, are these going to be scathing remarks? What's Paul got for us today? Because he sent some harsh letters, um, some letters of correction, of reproof, of teaching, of training in righteousness. So, With this picture in mind of these believers gathering together to hear this letter read, let me read our opening verses and then we'll pray together. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me pray before I look at this passage. Lord God, we come together as a group of weak and needy women. We are going through different struggles, different trials. God, in this room, I don't know what all of these women are going through uh, this the past week or the past few weeks, Lord, but, but you do. And so we praise you for that. 
even just reading about the beginning of this church in Philippi, Lord, we are so thankful for your sovereign hand, guiding, directing, bringing Paul to this group of women by the river at just the right moment so that their eyes would be open to, to the grace of your gospel, Lord. And so we pray for all of us that our hearts would be open to what you have for us this morning, that you would speak to us and through us, um, through your word, Lord. And, and I pray that you would use my feeble attempts um, to explain this passage to just to challenge and to awaken us to know you more and to love one another more. We pray this in your name. Now, I've broken our passage down into kind of three main sections. Uh, the first is just Paul's greeting. The second is going to be verses 3 through 8, Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. And then in verses 9 to 11, we'll see Paul's prayer for growth. So let's look first at Paul's greeting. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. I think we all know this is a letter written by Paul and his brother Timothy. Um, written while they're in Rome, while they're imprisoned, whether that's in a prison cell or under house arrest, we're not sure. And this is the same imprisonment under which Paul wrote the letters of Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Just a quick note on the context of Roman imprisonment. Um, Paul could have physically been under, uh, been in prison or under house arrest, but most likely in either of those situations, he would have needed friends or family to care for him, to provide his meals, to provide um, parchments or the, the various things that he would have needed during this time. And we see that note in, I think it's 2 Timothy of, hey, brother, bring, bring those parchments, bring my coat when you come to me. So he had a great reliance on those around him. And so we see Timothy filling that role. Um, he would have been a close brother. He would have been a great helper during this time. And then we see right off the bat, how does Paul identify himself and Timothy? It says there that they are servants of Christ Jesus. Now, later in Philippians, we see Paul saying, if anyone has reason to boast, it's me. I am, you know, Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, um, a zealot, uh, persecutor of the church. He had a list of credentials, and he could have identified himself by any of those things. But yet, what is he choosing? He is identifying himself here as a servant, as a bondservant. And a bondservant is, would not have been your typical slave who is owned or bought, um, but someone who is willingly coming and saying, I want to serve you. Um, and so Paul is, is, is saying, you know, who I am doesn't matter. What matters is who I am in Christ um, and that I am a servant and a, and a worker for Christ. And this is a great term of humility, of submission, of this man who is learned and, you know, a world traveler at the time coming in and saying, my chief aim is service to Christ. And what that means is service to the church. Um, an, an extension of Christ's love to others. And then next we see here how Paul refers to the recipients of this letter. He says, the saints in Philippi, the saints who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. Now this word saint is used throughout the New Testament to refer to all believers. It's not some special brand of super Christians or, you know, those who have it all together, um, as, you know, some churches today would kind of use that term to refer to of those saints. Um, but this is for all believers, all of those who've been set apart um, unto Christ and those who would have been believers in the gospel from the very first day of this church in Philippi. I mean, we got to read the story of Lydia and those fellow women of the Philippian jailer and his family. So we get a sweet taste of, of the conversion stories of some of those who would have been the beginning of this church. Um, but there would have been more that and we'll hear those stories one day. <laughs> I can't wait for that day. 
Um, so we see that the gospel's been at work here from the first day, saving, set apart, setting people apart unto Christ. Um, and we see that, that that's this would have referred to both brand new believers and those who've been believers. I, I'm, I think Barb had referenced in her teaching last week that this letter was probably written about 10 years after Paul had been in Philippi at the conversion of those women. And so these are believers who've been there, been growing for the last 10 years and those who are brand new brand new Christians, just coming to, to understand the faith, what it means to put off the old self. So this letter and its message is for all who are in Christ, for those who've grown up in the church and for those who were saved just last week. It's because we're united to Christ that we can be united to one another. These, the Philippian church was made up of a myriad of people. I mean, we hear jailer, women, those who wouldn't have naturally in that society been in fellowship and unity together. But yet what unites them is um, their belief and their faith in Christ. So I also just want, to see, want us to see here in Paul's humble greeting that there's a bit of a contrast. So he's identifying himself as nothing but a servant, a slave of Christ, but yet he's using the, I, um, he identifies those he's writing the letter to with their official office um, titles within the church, the overseers and the deacons, or as, as some would make the equivalent today, our pastors, our elders, our leaders, and deacons. So Paul is not only humbling himself by using that term servant, but then he's also elevating and showing a sign of respect to those he's writing the letter to, further humbling himself um, by using these terms and emphasizing that, that contrast. And then we see in great, uh, verse 2 here the grace and peace. We kind of talked about that around our tables, but first, grace had to be extended by God um, to open up the eyes of these believers and to be poured out into the life of the believer. And then they're made to be at peace with God and with one another. And so we see even this, this thread of unity and of being brought together and at peace with one another here in this greeting. So now let's turn our attention to Paul's prayer of thanksgiving here in verses 3 to 8. So I've kind of broken it down into three things that Paul is thankful for when it comes to the Philippian church. He's thankful for their partnership, he's thankful for their sanctification, and he's thankful for their friendship. In verses 3 to 5, we read, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. We see humility in that opening greeting, and now we see such unity and joy in Paul's prayer for these believers. We see these words, all, always, every, all of you. Paul loved this church. He loved these people, and that love couldn't help but overflow in a joyful prayer for them every time they come to mind. I wish that this was my response when those friends or those you know, friends you, you've known from long ago pop into your mind. Are you, are you bringing them to the Lord in prayer? Is that why God is bringing them to your mind? We have no idea. But I wish that that was the natural response of my heart. <laughs> and wouldn't we love to be the recipients of that? How sweet for this church to hear that, hey, our spiritual father, the one who first brought us the gospel, is praying for us all the time. Um, it is, it's just a, a sweet just overflow of friendship that this man can't help but burst forth with joyful thanksgiving every time these, these believers come to mind. And Paul is thankful for their partnership, their partnership in the gospel. Now this means both their, their fellowship, their friendship, but it's also thanking them for their practical support and thanking the Lord for how this church has, has practically supported him. 
This church has sent one of their own. Epaphrodites would have been a member of the Philippian church, and they're sending him to Paul to encourage him, perhaps to bring a letter, to bring um, physical support and help to Paul. And then Epaphrodites is bringing that letter back. And so they, they would have most likely brought, given him money, other gifts, physical support for Paul while he's in prison. And Paul is thankful for their support from the first day until now. Paul and these believers have been united in the gospel. They've been supporting one another from the time that their eyes were first open to the truth until today. So, about, I mean, that's a, a period of about 10 years. And because of this, Paul can now say what he's going to be saying in verse 6, which is a prayer of thanksgiving for their sanctification. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is sure of these believers' salvation and of their sanctification, of their growing in Christlikeness. God has begun this work. Paul is basically saying, God's begun this work in your life and he will complete it. Not because of anything we're doing, but because he is faithful. This is going to happen progressively on earth. Um, each day we're sanctified by the power of the Spirit and putting off sin and choosing to die to ourselves and, and to choose Christ's kingdom above our own, but even more fully and completely at that day of Christ, the day of Christ's return or calling us home. Um, so we, we see in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 10, let me flip over there quick. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is your, not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, this is not of our own. It is a gift of grace, completely by him, um, so that we may not boast. And really, so that it's Christ who's at work in our hearts, in our hearts and lives. Again, we're going to see that later in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Um, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's this both and. There's, there's an, a matter of work, which is ours, in that daily, you know, desiring to crucify the flesh. But yet it is God who is at work in us. So here Paul is confirming and, I mean, probably comforting the Philippian church to say, hey, I know you. I know what God is doing in your lives. I know I've seen the fruit of his um, work in your hearts over, over the last decade. decade. Um, and I believe that he, he will bring it to completion. Now, I'm not sure if maybe some of you guys struggle with assurance of salvation, or perhaps you know someone who does. Um, but there is this one um, this story in a book that I've recently read on, it's called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. Anyways, it's by, um, what's his name? I'm totally blanking. Anyways, it's the story of this husband who's in ministry, and he's just feeling discouraged. He's feeling the weight of ministry, the weight of, of the brokenness of, of people, and so he is lacking assurance. And there's a sweet story of his wife coming to him and saying, hey, I know you don't have faith for this, but trust me, I do. Um, and so, I mean, just coming alongside of, of a brother or sister um, within the church family and saying, hey, I know you and I know who our God is, and that can be enough to buoy another's faith um, and to help them to cling to Christ in the midst of those dark seasons. So we know that um, Paul knows that God is at work in the hearts of the Philippians, and he's able to assure them of their future glorification. 
So this is a reason enough for joy, but even more so, Paul is thankful for their friendship. So we see in verses 7 and 8, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now this passage just oozes love, care, and concern. These phrases like yearn for you all, I hold you in my heart, partakers with me of grace. This would have been such a sweet balm for the hearts of these Philippians. Um, They were truly known by Paul and truly loved by him. (coughs) This reminds me of that scene from Anne of Green Gables. Um where Anne is seeking a bosom friend, an intimate friend, you know, a really kindred spirit to whom I can confide my innermost soul. And we're all looking for a friendship like this. We're all looking for one whom we can really be ourselves around. Um, And yet this friendship between Paul and the Philippians is so much deeper than that. It's more than just the, you know, we've gone through a few things together, we really like the same things, we read the same books, but this is a friendship that is united by the affection of Christ. It's, it's deeper than just these, these surface level things. Although Paul and the Philippians have walked through life together, they have these shared experiences. In fact, from our text, um, we'll see next that, that it's through these trials that has knit their friendship closer together. Um, but truly, it's the affection of Christ that is drawing them together. So I'm sure that many of us can attest to, often when, it's, when we're going through times of trials or times of suffering, that our friendships are really, are tested, um, are pass or fail. You know, is it when we're going through hardships that friends walk away, that we realize who we can really um, turn to for help and support? Or are those the friends that are going to stick closer than a brother and who are going to walk through those trials, supporting and encouraging and reaching out? So in verse 7, we see what it was that Paul and the, that knit Paul and the Philippians together when Paul is expressing his thankfulness for their friendship. He refers to their mutual partaking of grace um, in Paul's. And so he is, they are partakers together of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So the Philippian church has walked alongside of Paul through his imprisonment, through his legal defense and confirmation of the gospel. So those are, those are legal terms that would have referred to, you know, trials, um, more the like, official parts of being in prison. But then also, I mean, Paul was a, a, a preacher. He went around, he, he would have shared the gospel and he would have had to, to give it an explanation and a defense of it. And so not only did the Philippians walk alongside of him and encourage him in, um, in his imprisonment, in those, like, I don't know, the court, the court case, but then also um, in just regular supporting him throughout his gospel ministry. So Paul is encouraging the Philippians by expressing his yearning for them with the affection of Christ. Paul's love for these believers is enhanced and enriched by their practical care for him, but it's so much deeper as it is the supernatural affection, such as Christ's love. So what does this look like in the local church? It looks like walking in humility with one another and being united together, even when that's not easy, and of having a joy for one another and the joy for Christian fellowship. This looks like overlooking hurt or offense. Um, it's, it's about being quick to forgive and, and seeking unity above, above all else. It's about seeking out those who are not going to be like us, um, going deeper than that cursory, oh, how are you doing? I'm good. And then you kind of move on. Um, but asking those deeper questions, you know, what is the Lord teaching you in, in the last couple of weeks? Um, and just trying to go deeper than that. 
And it's about making ourselves uncomfortable for the sake of loving one another. When I think of biblical friendship, I often think of the lyrics to the song that I listen to with my boys. It's called A Good Friend. Uh, it's put out by Sovereign Grace Kids. It's a really fun song. Um, I'm just going to read the lyrics really quick. So it says, A friend will always think of others. A friend will overlook a wrong. A friend sticks closer than a brother. A friend is patient all along. Jesus, let me be the friend you are to me. A good friend, a true friend, a here to help you through friend. Strong friend, kind friend, you can have what's mine, friend. A best friend, a sure friend, a humble and a pure friend. Lord, I want to be a good friend. And I hope, I mean, I pray this that for my boys all of the time as we're listening to the song that they would grow to be good friends and have friendships that are going to drive them to Christ. But so much more for my own heart too, that I would be, you know, that good friend who is, is humble, is seeking the other's um, benefit. And, and just what a sweet gift from God when we do have those friends in our lives. So fe- the fellowship of God's people is so much more than just having things in common or going through mutual experiences together. It's not necessarily less than these things, um, but it is so much more as we humbly come to one another, seeking the good of others, desiring their growth in Christ-likeness, and encouraging one another all the more until the day of Christ's return. This work should be one of joy. I mean, non-Christians' joy has to come from without. It has to come from outside of themselves. But for those who are in Christ, our joy comes from within. It comes from the Spirit at work in our hearts, growing that fruit. Which then takes us to our next point, Paul's prayer for uh, growth, for the gift of the Holy Spirit um, to be at work in the Philippian believers. So in verses 9 to 11, I'll just read that. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So Paul's desiring for them to grow in love more and more. That this affection of Christ would not just be between Paul and the Philippians, but that the Philippians would be abounding in that. In, in all of their spheres and relationships. And we see that they need the Spirit's help to love as they ought. Paul prays that they would have knowledge and discernment. Now, knowledge is, is, is this term for more religious knowledge or um, like the cerebral knowledge. They need, they need to know who their God is. They need to know of God's righteousness, of his son, of his will, of their own sin, of the truth, and of everything good. Um, so they would have had... To, I mean, there's just a base knowledge that you, you have as believers and as the Lord is working in your heart and you're studying his word. But then the second phrase here, discernment, is more related to wisdom. It's having this depth of insight and moral perception um, and then knowing how to act rightly in a given situation. It's moral wisdom based on God's will in the give and take of everyday living. God is, oh, sorry, that they may express their love by both understanding who their God is and what he's called them to. So Paul is praying that, that these believers would be growing, that they would be in, I mean, they wouldn't have had scriptures like we have the gift of, but that they would be growing in their knowledge of the Lord, um, of their knowledge of theology, and that that would be affecting the way that they're walking. That they would be, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That they would be fearing the Lord and walking in wisdom. And, and part of this is having the humility of knowing you don't have it all figured out. I mean, any theologian worth his weight would know that there's you're never at the point of knowing it all um there is a humility of of not having it all figured out um and then killing pride because we know that we need to know god more and better and having the wisdom to do that in life and paul gives kind of three reasons of why he he just has this desire for them it's so that they can approve what is excellent so that they'd have discernment in life really they can discern false teaching from true teaching by knowing what is true. 
and that they wouldn't be led astray. I mean, we see in so many of Paul's letters, he's warning them that they would stay true to what is the gospel that has been preached, that they wouldn't be led astray. Um, and that drifting can happen so easily and so quickly. And so he is just calling the believers, hey, it is important that you know what is true so that you are not led astray. He also prays that they would be pure and blameless for the coming of Christ. And this reminds me of Ephesians 5, when we hear about how Christ loved the church, how he loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. This is Christ's desire for his bride, for us, that we would be pure and spotless. And he, he doesn't just say, go and be pure and spotless, but it's he who is protecting and walking and, and doing that work through the Spirit. And then we see that Paul is praying that they, um, one of the, the fruit of their abounding more and more, would that be, they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That it would be truly the Holy Spirit growing this fruit in their hearts and lives. Um, I think often it, it, we can kind of slip into this mindset of gluing on fruit. You know, I'm just going to be joyful today, or I'm going to, you know, try to do that better next time. And really what we're doing is we're, we're pasting fake fruit onto the hearts of our, or onto the trees of our life, um, instead of having true spirit-rooted fruit um, growing and abounding. So yeah, sure, you can glue on that smile for the awkward family Thanksgiving, um, or to humbly be quiet in an argument instead of voicing your opinion. Not that I've ever done that. Um, <laughs> But, but what Paul is praying for is true, lasting fruit, fruit that is spirit wrought. And that just reminds me again of, of John 15. Abide in me and my fruit will, um, and, and you will bear fruit um, in my name. And so for the believers, if they are abiding in Christ and if they are, um, you know, rooted to him, um, then that is the only way that this fruit is going to grow in their lives in a true and lasting way. And ultimately, why is this Paul's prayer? To the glory and praise of God. This is what we were made for. This is our chief end and what we were created for. So that God would have the praise, that God would have the glory. So in the opening to his letter, we see Paul has this great example of humility by identifying himself as, as a servant of Christ. We see illustrated throughout this, part, this section that he is illustrating this unity that comes only through the gospel. We see his love for an intimate relationship with the Philippians. And then we are also shown the joy that Paul has because of the work of Christ in the life of his friends. And the humility required of all believers as we evermore strive by the grace of God um, to know and love him more. To grow in our dependence of him and, acknowledge, and knowledge of him. And then to grow in the, Holy, in the fruit of the Spirit to the glory and praise of Christ. So as we close, I just thought there are a few questions that we could be asking ourselves out of this passage. Um, first is just looking at, at the physical prayer. What is Paul's prayer for the church? Um, what does he identify as their greatest need? What can we learn from this pattern of prayer? And I'm thinking, like, what do my prayers look like in relation to this prayer? Is, is this my prayer for, for those on our prayer list, that they would be abounding in Christ, that they would be walking with him through the trials of life. I mean, we just, we had a massive prayer list of those who are going through physical trials. And yes, it's good to be praying for those things. We want to be supporting and encouraging and, and praying for those physical needs. But is that their greatest need? No. It's that they would be walking with the Lord, that they would be turning to him throughout those trials. 
um, and finding strength in and through the Lord. So I want us to walk away from this text, noting the amazing example of humility um, and of humble, joyful, and loving prayer. And to ask ourselves, do I love my church family with this sort of love? When a sister comes to my mind, am I bursting forth with thanksgiving and prayer for her? Am I concerned about the spiritual growth of my brothers and sisters in Christ? Or am I more so worried about their physical circumstances? Am I grieved over their sin? Am I rejoicing in their victories over the flesh? I think that we often don't pray like this because we often don't talk like this. You know, we aren't super quick to be open and vulnerable at times with one another about the actual struggles and trials we're going through. And so obviously then we aren't able to lift one another up in that way if we're not going to be open and vulnerable about those things to begin with so that we can walk alongside of and encourage and bear one another's burdens and encourage each other in those ways. So that's my challenge to you (laughs) and to me. And then secondly, we should look at this relationship between Paul and the Philippian church and just ask, what is their friendship rooted on? What does gospel friendship look like? What permeated the relationship between Paul and the church? And and what does it look like for Paul and these believers to to do life together? I mean, they didn't live together. They didn't walk through the day-to-day together. But yet there is that sweet intimacy, that sweet depth of friendship. And so what does that look like today? I think Paul is their spiritual father. He has a great affection for these believers. And and so for those of us who are in ministry or in some sort of leadership context, um, is this the love that we have for our church family? Is this the love that we have for those, you know, around us? And then for those who are, you know, a part of a church family, is this the love you have for your leaders, for your elders? Um, Do we have this great affection for one another? I think that can be a a good challenge. Um, And in this time, you know, we're just scratching the surface of gospel friendship. There's so much more out there. Um, There are some great books on this, I think, in the church library. Do you guys, there's Messy Beautiful Friendship is a great book that I would recommend on just the topic of biblical friendship. I'm not sure if it's in the library or not. I'm getting a nod from Glenda, no. (laughs) But anyways, there there are just are, so there's so much more out there just on what biblical friendship looks like and, and ultimately pointing us to, hey, who is, who are we modeling ourselves after in this pursuit of biblical friendship? It's Christ, but he is the ultimate friend. You know, the greater love has none of this but that he would lay down his life for a brother. <clears throat> and so are we, we can ask ourselves, are we pursuing deep friendship? Um, are we being open and vulnerable and being intentional to develop these relationships? Because these things don't come naturally. Are we pursuing those who are not like us? Are we having an unselfish approach to friendship? And not just asking, what can I get out of this? Or, you know, is this easy? But, but how can I love another? How can I encourage them? Um, and give of myself for them. So we all need to be doing a better job of this. Um, And so I would encourage us all, all the more, as we um, are just growing in Christ-likeness. So finally, I want to remind all of us, including myself, that we we can't take a passage like ours today and say, okay, great, here's my list of, you know, be a better friend, pray like this, say these words, um, love people more. Love like this cannot be broken down into a list of do's and don'ts. Um, We can't just be gluing artificial fruit on our hearts and on our lives. But all of this, every fruit, every word, every action that we see in our passage is motivated by a love for Christ. It's motivated by an affection or an attitude founded on who Christ is. It's only because of his humbling himself 
by coming to this earth because of his taking on our sinfulness and rejection by the Father. It's because of his justifying us or giving us right standing before God through his death and resurrection. Because of his not leaving us on our own to figure this life out, but giving us a helper, the Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin and equip us to die to ourselves and to live to Christ in his kingdom. It's only through following Jesus' example of humility are we able to joyfully strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. Let me pray. So, Dear God, we are so thankful for texts like ours that, that encourage us and convict us um, in our love for you and our love for one another. Lord, I, I look around at these women and I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for the ways in which they've ministered to my heart and, in, and encouraged me in my life. Um, just walking alongside of one another through, through big, hard things and through the daily just feeling overwhelmed or, or at wit's end, Lord. And so I'm so thankful for each of them and for the gospel love that you are um, just knitting in and through us, God. And so I just pray that all the more that we would be abounding more and more in the love and the affection of Christ. We pray this in your name.